Warning. You're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. Oh my. Oh my. We are back in the saddle with AJ and Brooke Inns. Let's go. Welcome back. What's up? <laughs> just Glad like just like where it all started. Yeah. Dude, that intro fires me up every time. That's why we got it, baby. So good. Skunk so good. holler. So good. Every damn time. It's so good. You can't every just, damn time. You can't help but just move to the music. You skunk holler. Never been done. Nope. No, no, not a single not a single time have I made it through skunk holler without <laughs> either air guitaring. <laughs> I know. Bopping the head. It's a it's a clear bop. And we are. Oh my god, AJ, can you believe we're gonna get to play Bopper Flop with Brooke today? Yes. So <laughs> yes. We've had great guests, but I miss our I miss our conversations. It's gonna be a good show. Very oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So we've had, we've had a busy couple of weeks, haven't we? Man, it's been busy. What have y'all been up to? Tell me. Well, we met up with some friends in Vegas at the NFR. I think you were there, Brooks. I was there. Of course you were there. Hell yeah, you were there. <laughs> I was. And Brooke was there. Brooke's and there. Brooke we and were Brooks. all in Vegas together. It was awesome. Brooke ended yep. the show. We did an interview with Josie Young from 10X yep. Farm and Ranch. And at the very end of the episode, which people heard last week, uh, uh, Brooke said, I'm here. AJ here. Brooks is here. We're all here. And I was like, <laughs> all right, that's a wrap on the show. Let's get out of here, everybody. <laughs> good night. Yeah. Yeah. So we, and what were we doing in Vegas? Uh, we went down to the 10X Farm and Ranch con, um, gathering conference just to learn about what 10X is working to do to help uh, rural America put structure behind their business. So it was great. Awesome opportunity network. Got to see Country Christmas for the first, Cowboy Christmas for the first time. Holy moly. Whoa, that thing was so cool. I was walking around up in that place going, holy cow. <laughs> for real. Yeah. For real. real. I didn't cowhides everywhere. Had no I had nothing no idea what to expect. Cowboy hats, saddles, any small doodads. And then they had freaking live in horse trailers that were like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars just hanging out, which was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So 10 X farm and ranch cowboy Christmas went really well. Uh, AJ, you and, uh, uh, and our wives, we got to have a really nice dinner. Thank you again yes. for, for a wonderful dinner at, uh, what was that? Jordan Gordon Ramsey steakhouse. Yep. That was awesome. Delicious. Yep. It was awesome. Perfect. And, and so, yeah, like, uh, you know, all three of us, we came from the coaching industry. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Uh yeah, Brooks and behind the scenes, there's some chaos happening. <laughs> don't even worry about it. It's called multi generational living, and I'm here for it. It is, uh-huh. man. Yeah. I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, I I can sense one of my littles next to me, and it's her little hands come up on the thing, and she's trying to put them <laughs> on my lap. And then, and then I'm like, so I went, I I muted it. Then she's around me, and she's over by the my 
my roadcaster and I'm like, don't you be pushing any buttons. Shiny Mom, buttons, different see. colors. My sister, I was like, come get May May. She's so like they're coming to get her. She hides under the counter. I don't I don't know if you guys are gonna be able to see her, Brooke, when this comes out. Yeah. But I'm seeing you on mute and I'm thinking, Mom! Mom! Meatloaf! Meatloaf! <laughs> I never know what she's doing in there. Uh, you're ruining my life. That's so funny. Accurate. Anyway. So how was, no, yeah. So how was Brooke's interpretation of Vegas? How did you enjoy yourself? Oh, I enjoyed myself. You were already going to um, be there with your parents. What y'all yeah, were there me and my for? My parents drove down Sunday, mm-hmm. went to Cowboy Christmas a little bit, but then we went to the NFR Sunday night. And for those that are not in the know, NFR is national finals rodeo. And it is awesome. I mean, it's the highest concentration. Yeah. Yeah. The worst. So I've been two, I've been two years now during COVID. They have it in, they had it in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. My parents went and, and every time since they're like, man, they got to do it back in Texas. <laughs> they need to put it back in Texas. And when you are in Vegas, there are people that love it there, you know, and I don't, when I say this, I don't mean it to everyone who lives there. Okay. So don't take this personally, but the whole place could be thrown in the, in the trash, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like there are cool things to do in Vegas. There really are shows, food, music. I think what I would, I probably, if it's not for work, what I would go there for the most, the reason I would go would be shopping because there's no shopping where I live. Not very good shopping. And concerts. Go to a concert. We went and saw, we took my niece, we went to Carrie Underwood. Oh my gosh, she is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Velvet, yeah. what was it called? Velvet, uh, I think I saw, maybe it wasn't Carrie Underwood. I saw, maybe it was Miranda well, Lambert. She had the, she had the, that was Miranda Lambert. Carrie Underwood, I don't know what her new show is called. It might be something new. It was um, Rhinestones and Denim and Rhinestones was mm. la- when we went. But she is really good. If anyone's listening and you have a chance to go see Carrie Underwood live, take it. You will not be disappointed. And I will admit. Even if you don't know all of her music. Be good to go see her. I was just going to say, I, I oh, will yeah. admit that I saw that uh, the dome, the, the, the theater mm-hmm. dome with all the lights. That mm-hmm. looks worth it. If you're into they that sort concerts of thing. In there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Freaking you two. I was Bono. a little concerned just driving around like when it, the sun starts going down. You know, it, it kind of feels like a bug flying into the light. Mm. Don't come to the light. <laughs> For real, you like get a little mem- mesmerized. So you got to remember to drive. Remember to not <laughs> yeah. stare at that the whole time. You know, you're already in Vegas traffic. Can't be good. <laughs> yeah. And this is what happens when you get a bunch of health nerds on a, on a podcast. Uh, Vegas is not exactly the place you go for a bunch of health nerds. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it's Other like, oh my God, like, there's too much light about? coming into my window. <laughs> <laughs> not enough high quality water. <laughs> oh my God. Terrible water. Yeah. Showering? Terrible water. I'm all for investing in a good. Highly, highly chlorinated, I think. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for investing yeah, in a good meal. A shower there. But oh, paying fifteen dollars for a pre-made breakfast sandwich with half a slice of bacon on it, like uh, I'm not, you know, I'm over yeah. here like, let me see if I got a button for that. 
I gotta have it. Yeah, it was this. It, most like, of the breakfast experiences that I had. <laughs> yeah. No good. Mm-hmm. That's no good. But other no than good. that, it was really fun to, you know, when it's NFR in Vegas, it's when I think it's probably the best. Mm. Just yeah. the city. Because you're full of, you know, all that Western culture and all the people and even talking to uber drivers and things like that they're like oh this is our favorite because everyone is so nice and you know yep for the most part i you know i feel like i could i could assume like consider it Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know everyone still is their own person so the thing is is that like i'm i'm not a cowboy by any stretch of the imagination but even i was walking around without a cowboy hat and i felt bald man i was just like what in the hell I need to get me get me a cowboy hat on this head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the spirit was in the air. Spirit oh, yeah. was in yep. the air. Um, so what we're going to do today is we actually had uh, some leftover clips that we haven't been able to get to because we had so many great interviews that we wanted to do, and they happened to be able to be scheduled back to back to back. Um, so I have clips, but I think, no, what I'm going to do for us to start is I have the clip from the Instagram reel that was posted on Serious Fun Media where we had some uh, shit posters come out of the woodwork. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm going to play the clip, and then I would like to use this because this is an interactive show, ladies and gentlemen. We, we yes, interact with us. We're probably going to talk about it on the microphone. Hint, hint, <laughs> nudge, nudge. So I'm going to play the clip that received some... I'll just call it backlash. It's not that big a deal, but there was some, there was some <laughs> unhealthy debate happening on. And so this is, this is the isolated 48 seconds from an hour and 44 minute podcast podcast that caused a little <laughs> bit of, caused a little bit of stink. This is it. I believe it came from a friend of ours works for the meat export federation. Uh, grain finished beef has a 67% lower carbon footprint than grass finished. Hmm. is the statement from the Meat Export Federation because actually this is the fun part talking to my wife, the nutritionist, you know, the carbon and the methane that comes from cows is typically the regurgitation to chew their cut. It's burps. It's not farts. Right. Obviously AOC still doesn't know that, but, <laughs> but once they go to a concentrate ration, their roughage is cut down. They're releasing exceptionally lower levels of methane. Hmm. And they're done sooner. Mm. Interesting. Oh my God. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, interesting. Well, people heard that and they were just freaking out. They were, they were so scary. <laughs> oh my God. You talked about carbon sequestration and methane and grain Ooh, finished. We can't farts, have that. It's the burps. We can't have that. It, let's just say this for the record. First of all, this whole conversation about cow farts and cow burps is bullshit to begin with. So the fact that we're even discussing the carbon off the carbon uh, output of livestock, I'm not talking about the systems. I'm talking about the animal itself is total bullshit to begin with. So I just want to like set the record straight for anybody listening. Like we don't buy into any of that anyway, but it is, a major topic of discussion. And so we'll talk about it in some of that context, but we all know that cows have nothing to do with global warming, the species itself. 
It's a, it's burps and farts. Who gives a shit? Well, they had to and move away from global warming and had to call it climate change because right. we're having record cold snaps. Recently in China, they just had one of the coldest uh, record. They had the coldest recorded temperature ever in the history of China. It was negative 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, yeah, AJ's immediately. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <sighs> AJ's already done it. He's trans. He's trans. He's the reason that he's we went to climate was because they couldn't control us through a false pandemic. That is why. And the reason that we know that, and we should have found this clip. We'll find it for a future show. Uh, uh, damn it. You guys, are, James O'Keefe did an undercover video with the producer of CNN and got them on undercover audio and video saying it was actually, I think it was their entire like upper echelon at CNN. And they said, we are going to push climate change next. Like literally that they, they caught their strategy on audio because the pandemic failed to control the world through the world economic forums interests. That's why I got this on, but they mm-hmm. captured it from the upper echelon saying we are going to push global warming next. And that is why this conversation is happening. And that is the only reason why this conversation is happening. Just to remind people, you know, he's uh, uh, wait, been he is, using weather, weather modification for a long time. Way AJ's longer than we changed even back know. out too. Just, so, oh, sorry, just for, just Black for the audio, AJ, regular redhead, <laughs> AJ, happen. welcome back. <clears throat> Man. Well, I wonder, I have a 25 second clip uh, from a representative of the World Economic Forum discussing a goal that they have. Uh, so let's see if this has anything to do with what we're talking about. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint trackers. Hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Oh, I can't wait. So excited. Yeah, you know, that's when they start controlling all your money. It's like, oh, you, you can't travel for this long because you've already hit your quota. Yeah. You know, you went too many miles. Yeah. And we will definitely dive in an, a future episode. Could be the next one on uh, the recent COP28 and pull some clips so we can hear it from their mouths what their intentions are. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. the intention is to remake the entire global financial system and to use carbon credits as a measure uh, that they can uh, trade for dollars. And of course, if you're overusing your credits, then you can receive punishment or they can turn off your money if they were to have control over it. Um, but before we get too far off topic, yes. we wanted to go back to the original clip, which is what we started with. Hey, we're, we're not saying we believe that. And technically, to play devil's advocate, uh, Jeff didn't even say that he believed that necessarily. He quoted someone else. Uh, he quoted another mm-hmm. source. And so I'm not going to knock him for bringing information to the table in any you know he didn't say that himself but people didn't really like that now aj from the best of your ability try to 
uh, give us what the dissenting opinion is about that statement and about yeah. Jeff state state stating it. Yeah. So, so doing some, some initial research and we definitely, I haven't dove in deep enough to give everybody listen the, the, the straight facts end to end, but, uh, the university of, uh, Dr. Tara Garnett from the university of Oxford, the research network at Oxford is called the, um, food climate research network. Okay. Now I, it just sounds biased. One organization it just sounds yeah. biased just from his name. Dude, right off the bat. Like I'm, so I'm trying to do some more research. There's gonna be people we'll have on that have had debates on this particular article directly. Um, but that's who did the research university of Oxford. And they put it out there and basically said, here's what they said. Regenerative agriculture actually doesn't work the way it claims to work. Like it doesn't sequester enough carbon to make a difference. So I'm already calling major bullshit on that because we've seen direct counter arguments to show that that is just not true. Right. So that's where that research came from. Now, here's what, here's what I will say. Uh, There are so many nuances and Brooks, we talked about this kind of at length yesterday. There's so many different nuances in our food system because of how it's been created so that we can feed a mass population. Right. So, you know, when you talk about grass fed and it's also related to label labeling laws and and the rules of labeling. So when somebody sees when, when Jeff says grass fed uh, or this article says grass fed is higher carbon than corn and grain, First of all, the grass-fed meat doesn't mean grass-finished. That's something that consumers really don't fully understand is what is a, what is, when a label says something, what does that actually mean? Grass-fed and finished means fed on grass. But then it gets, you know, kind of even more nuanced than that. That could mean a cow lived in a feedlot and they fed it alfalfa in the, in the hay bale and the hay bunk. That could be, that's what it meant. It doesn't, grass fed and finished doesn't even mean a cow fattened itself on pasture even. Mm. But a consumer will see grass fed and finished and then they have this grand image in their head that this was the perfect, like a regenerative environment where this animal lived in rotation out on the fields. That's not what that means. So our label laws are not doing our consumers any favors because they're so, so confusing. A grass fed animal literally means something that was fed on grass up to 50% of its life. That means the other half of its life, which if a cow is fattened in 24 months, two years, it was a year on grass, meaning it got to a yearling and then it got put in a feedlot for a year. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying there's, there's so many different nuances to this, this whole operation. If you're listening and just hearing that kind of bothers you, you're like, oh man, like I, I really want to do grass fed, grass finished. The best thing you can do is find a producer regionally and locally. Our local, our small producers, they are the ones that are like, I'll talk about our operation, right? Our cows are at pasture up until the last second. We have to bring them down just when it's too cold. And then obviously um, making sure we don't overgraze any area. And then we feed them hay. They're fed out hay. And they don't even, we don't give them any grain until like the last month that we have them. And we still feed them hay. There's just supplementation of a grain. Typically it's corn. And that gives you the marbling that people like. helps, Helps them put on a little bit more weight that last month. It's supplementation with grain with their hay 
for like one month, maybe longer. And those, that all depends on your processing facilities. When can you get in? I mean, for us, it's like you have to book almost a year in advance (laughs) to first slots. Which tells you you that there's a... it's It's either A... You got to figure out a year in advance. All right, we have to plan ahead. We're going to have to feed them out longer because we're going to have to bring them down at this time. We're going to have to feed them out longer. So we got to make sure we've got hay and we grow hay. But that's what you're going to find more often, I think, with smaller producers. They're going to be able to have their cows out at pasture, out grazing way longer. And you're going to have a better ratio. You're going to have a, you know, if they're selling, if they're promoting their pasture raised, and maybe they're finishing with something, they're not going to finish for a half their life. Mm. They're going to finish like, you know, a couple, and some people have a bigger operation and they may have, they may move them sooner into a feedlot. But all I'm saying is we're small time and you can find producers nearby. And you know what? We're going to help you. That's right. That's what we are working on. That's why this podcast exists. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the saying either that, that you shouldn't eat, beef that's been fed one way or another what we're saying is how awesome is it you get to choose you live in a country that there's a fucking option yeah like well and like with that clip that you played you know when i try to read into you know create some well through empathy and i can understand people <laughs> pretty well it's almost like a i like i wouldn't even say that what what they say about cow farts or cow burps is wrong they might right what the issue is though is they're not the problem. Like it's the same thing with when they got rid of straws and I can't remember who had this like rant about it. And it may have been someone like on Joe Rogan's podcast. They were talking about it. Like, you know, the straws are killing the turtles. And the guy's like, where are all the dead turtles? Where are all the turtles with with straws in them? Like all they had to do is make it it emotional. And I'm not saying that, listen, littering is a terrible thing. Pick up your shit. Put it in the trash can. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's not that, but we've got rid of straws. So now we've, we've been able to put this huge target on agriculture, on the beef. And it's like, they're the issue. They're the problem. Because what can they do? We can make you food and then we'll own it. We own the market and it's better for you. No, it's not better for you. And you know what the big problem is? If we really wanted to control something, control the shit that's going in the sky, how about all of the huge ships Going yep. across the ocean. I mean, we're we're picking the least like problematic group and putting all the targets on their back when if we really wanted to make a change, if they really wanted to change something, wouldn't you pick the thing that's putting off the most exhaust, the most, you know, chemicals and everything into the atmosphere? Right. No, we're not. We can't do that because that's that's how they make their money. It's how we move things around. So what else can we do? Well, if we got rid of the cows, ain't going to put a dent in it. No. And then you have the conversation. I was actually, while you were chatting, <clears throat> I was trying to find this video. And if I can find it, we can put it on a different, on a later podcast. But it is this guy and he works in agriculture and trees and he's talking about the amount of carbon that they're saying that we have that we need to pull down and then they look at all of the trees that we have through all the forests you know worldwide how much each at like once a certain size how much it pulls down on its own we don't have a problem i got a clip for the it numbers it's you do i do it is 
it's already handled. The trees are doing the job. Now you got Bill Gates saying that trees are bad. Oh my God. You couldn't have segued me anymore. Here's Alex Jones on Bill Gates. (laughs) Bill Gates said, quote, environmentalists have to grow up and stop planting trees. Trees actually contribute to carbon. And he set up a billion dollar facility to destroy trees and bury the carbon that's operating right now in America. I know that sounds crazy. It's true. Oh, Biden three months ago approved his plan with NASA to start testing satellites in space that put out these bigger rays off in deep space between the sun and the earth to block the sun's rays. I know that sounds like something Dr. Ebel would try to do. I know it sounds completely bonkers. I'm not the one coming up with all this. They're doing it all over the Western world. They're putting cricket meal in different types of so-called protein powders and they've let them under laws here and in Europe not tell you it's bug protein. It's got like a code CX3 or you can look it up. I also want to play one more clip because he just set up the label uh, label law that we started that again we're still on the first clip everybody we're still <laughs> discussing and deconstructing this uh this this clip that seemed to cause a bit of a kerfuffle uh, and so yes thank you Brooke for that beautiful setup here is Will Harris on Joe Rogan about uh, what it means to be able to be labeled product of the USA and I think that will pull us back to where we started which was this clip that we can continue to deconstruct. The worst part is that imported beef is legally labeled product of the USA. How's that? If value is added in this country, it's a product of the USA. What? We, <laughs> we compete with we compete with it every day. How do they add value? If you if they grind it, slice it, cut it, package it, label it, rebox it, transport it. But the animal, make make no mistake, the animal was born, raised, and slaughtered in Uruguay, uh, Australia, New Zealand, or, or 20 other countries. And I found that to be both enlightening and also a, uh, a, a nice way to expand the conversation on where we started, which was... Uh, Somebody did not like that Colorado Craft Beef had listed themselves as grass-fed. But as right. AJ mentioned, there are laws that allow you to say if you've fed and if they've lived on pasture for 50% or more of their life, that they can be labeled as grass-fed. And most companies are going to take advantage of the marketing opportunities that they have available to them. And uh, Jeff Smith, who uh, runs Colorado Craft Beef, I mean, they're not a huge operation, right? Nope. And so if I were, uh, and also another thing that seems to be missed in the conversation, and again, I don't know Jeff very well, clearly, we've just done a podcast with him, but what he said made logical sense to me, which was, hey, uh, just so y'all know, where I live, it's a desert (laughs) <laughs> and and it may not be possible for us to regenerate this particular area of the United States to be lush grass. And does, are you saying I should just shut down my operation and be like, well, that's a wrap. I guess I'm just going to quit since I can't change what I'm doing. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to uh, tell my family, you know, I'm just going to do something else. You know, it just seemed uh, it's a again, like you said, there's nuance to this that people uh, seem to be missing. Yeah. And, yeah. and the soil and the soil and regen nerd in me wants just to make a point of clarification. 
a true desert. Jeff is in a true desert, meaning sand. Like if you ever go to the, you know, Glamis, that kind of desert, not like places that used to be grasslands that have desertified. He lives in a sandy desert. You're not going to grow the amount of the amount of organic matter you would have to pile into that just to change the con the, the construct of that sandy soil. Like it's not happening. So well, and it's it's not just that. Like for instance, like down where we are, mm-hmm. we have gravel yeah. in yeah. the earth. I mean, that's my I'm talking to my dad about it because we were talking about different ways we're putting a new pond, different ways we're going to try and collect more water, right? Because we are in the high desert and it is windy, and where we're at, you don't get a lot of rain. And I was like, well, maybe we could do some cut in some draw. I don't remember what they're called. Anyway, little areas to collect water when we do get rain. And I wasn't thinking for it because what you can do is it runs then into a trough for like Mm -hmm. watering, things like that. I said, oh, I was thinking more so we could collect it, you know, cut these in throughout the property, collect water for it to go back into the earth. And my dad said, well, it already does go back in. The problem is, is there so much gravel and rock in our area that it just goes right through it. Mm, Yeah. You know, so it's not staying in the soil or helping that soil um, become healthier and better because there's so much gravel in the earth. And so you have to work with what you have, you know? And so we've got plans set forth for the next year to slowly, we're creating more regenerative protocol and doing what we can do in our area. But like he, like he said, you can't wait no matter what, you have people that come in now and it's like, either you got to be regenerative or you're the problem. It's like, whoa, dude, let's just start with the real problem. Okay. Food security. If we start pointing fingers saying you shouldn't do your job, you suck at your job. I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. How are we any better than the political parties at hand? How are we any better? We're not going to solve problems. What we need to do is stop yelling at people. Yep. Keep them in business. We just want to keep them in business. Yep. You know, and then as, as they're in business, it keeps them in business longer and they can learn more things and start applying maybe little changes to help them in the long run for their process, for their, for their, you know, whole business they got going. Yeah. But to try and hold them to a standard right away, that's impossible. Even Will Harris talks about it took him 30 years to get where he is. This is not a quick change. So be kind. Well, and it's the, the, yeah. And really what kicked off this whole, this, this whole deal is in, infighting, which also needs to be like squashed, right? Like we can, we can worry about cleaning up these nuances when we stop importing beef that's killing our local farmers and ranchers, right? It's like, it's chess versus checkers. Like our major issue is the volume of imports coming from foreign countries that is preventing producers from maximizing their dollar by not being underbid by imported beef, right? And so that's where, but you know, at the same time, everybody gets to choose the hill they want to fight and die on. So go for it. I'm just saying what we're about is, supporting the remaining 700,000 farms and uh, ranchers that we have left. Like this info, that's the worst thing about this whole deal. Like I, I have this joke where whenever I speak at a conference, you get three producers in a room and the only thing two will agree on is how the third one doesn't know what he's doing. And it gets a laugh, but it also gives me the opportunity to speak to that and be like, listen, that shouldn't be happening. Cause you got guys like Leonardo DiCaprio and James Cameron that go make multi-million dollar documentaries on how cow farts are going to kill everybody because or burps. 
You got only estimated 4% of our nation are vegan. If we're conser- if we give them a few more points, so let's say it's 6%, that's still 297 million meat eaters in the United States. And yet because the anti-meat crowd, because I'm not against vegan or vegetarian, you know, anybody that's in that crowd, if you also are like not going to give me a hard time for meat. But my point is, is the extremists on those sides, they're so loud and whiny. If, and, and most importantly aligned that 4% can sound like 90%. And that is just not true. So if we are going to well, make a shift, to do is, you know, put a, put a microphone in front of them. It's like, yeah. well, what are we, what are we doing? What's the big plan? We got to let these guys win. Yeah. Yeah. This and, you know, some stupid study that was done in some college now in Cal- California can regulate other states and how they use their water. Mm-hmm. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So you know what I mean, the, in the producer world, producers, we got, you, need, you guys need to come together, support one another and recognize that there's an abundance. There are 297 million meat eaters on this in our country. That means if you have found something that works, I encourage you to share that shit with everybody around you. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't worry about, I got to make sure I get mine. I promise you, like, you know, we're building this app and I'm telling you, we do not have enough of you selling to support the early demand that's coming in for people who want to shake the hand that feeds them. So share with your neighbor what you're doing that is working. Don't hold that to your chest. We, it's time that we come together and rally for our nation's food security. And so that's what kicked this whole deal off is just some, 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 uh, immature infighting, a a, a lack of focus on the big picture. We've got to stop imports or significantly reduce. We're going to need imports, by the way, we don't have enough. We're at the lowest number of cattle in our nation that we've ever seen in, in our history. So we do need to import, but it should be scrutinized that imports don't happen until we've taken care of our own first. That's what needs to happen. Yeah, you should be, you should be going to what's being produced here before we're like, okay, now let's get some supplementation. Yes. But instead they're, we're getting, you know, they're getting rid of making it very difficult for ranchers to survive here. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the whole maximizing profits, which legally they have to do so. So really the only solution is that consumers become well enough educated that you can vote with your dollar, just like we've talked about in the past. The reason that that uh, the, the plant-based meats tanked is because you, the consumer, said, we ain't buying that shit. Yeah. So let me plug something real quick while we're on this topic of soil health and regenerative. Uh, if you are near um, St. George, Utah, February 6th, 7th, and 8th, the Utah Department of Ag is doing a soil health conference um, in St. George, Utah. A friend of ours, Alejandro Carrillo, is being brought in as a keynote speaker. Alejandro, go look him up if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Alejandro is um, got a ranch in the Chihuahua Desert. And so, Brooke, Brooke and everybody else in the area that's talking about trying to find ways to maximize their land in their context, meaning the environment that they're in. He's going to be so great for people who are in desert environments because what he's been able to accomplish with a four to 6% average rainfall a year is, is pretty incredible. And so uh, anyway, just, just a quick plug for that conference. Our friend uh, Tony Richards, no relation by the way, but um, he's the one that leads the Utah Soil Health Division, and they've worked really hard to put this together. So I, I'm looking forward to it. So if this is something you like to geek out on or if you're a producer listening, 
try to make it out for that. I think it'll, it'll make a difference. Oh man, I can't wait to ask some questions. Yeah. First question is going to be this. What would you do if it gets so cold, you don't get a lot of rain and the ground freezes so bad, you can't even get a piece of equipment two inches into the ground. What do you do? Mm. I mean, the Chihuahua desert, how cold does it get there? Yeah. Cause here you got gravel. Mm-hmm. You got, we don't get a lot of rainfall, but it gets, you know, like a desert cold, bone yeah. chilling and that yeah. ground freezes. So I, I'm very excited. One of the things you were very saying, excited. Brooke, um, and maybe I've shared it with you before. So, uh, through, through, through a relation, there's a gentleman named, um, Neil Spackman. And so if you go Google Neil Spackman and the, um, uh, the, uh, Albida project, um, it's pretty fascinating. So what they did was, uh, learned how to slow water flowing off of watersheds. So, you know, that's the crevices in, in the mountains, that's your watershed. So the water rains on the tops of the mountains and then it goes into those ravines, right? They were getting something like four inches of rain a year, but it all came at one time and then it was gone. And so this was a complete, I mean, talk about like desert, not even, not even dirt, like mostly rocks, boulders, small boulders, gravel and stuff like that. They slowed that water down and checked dams as it came down. And the, if you go look at the project now, it's been, been 10 years, I think 10 or 11 years. It's, it's really incredible to see and gives me hope. I mean, all this stuff for me came up when I was looking at my kids, like, holy crap, how do we reverse this? Like, cause the news wants you to believe that we're just screwed and we need to manufacture everything through synthetic processes because it's our only option. And that is not true. You know, I always say that mother nature's like, hold my beer and watch this. What you guys took a hundred years to destroy with support, I'll revitalize in five. Like literally that's the timeline. What we have destroyed in modern food systems, the get bigger, get out green revolution through chemical inputs and uh, fertilizers and all these things, Mother Nature will bring back to original within five to ten years with the proper management. So, with a so if I'll 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 make an attempt to like create a wrap on this segment, uh, which is discussing mostly the response to the clip, less so than the clip itself, uh, which was taking something that they didn't listen to in context and using that as a excuse to tear an individual down. Um, AJ said, you know, the, what we stand for so we can create some clarity is we are here to educate, inform, and entertain. I want to educate. I want to inform and I want to make it entertaining. And what we're not going to do is play into the sensationalism and the dogma. We want to present people with information that allows them to make informed choices. And hopefully they will start to shake the hand that feeds them. Because what right. really who we're just talking to is people that don't know that there are other options from the farm app is going to be there for people that didn't know there were other options or know that there are other options and they just don't know where to find them. And um, just frankly, I would rather buy ribeyes from Colorado craft beef that I know were grain finished uh, and corn finished than buy uh, grass fed grass finished meat from New Zealand. Because I know yeah. all of the energy and things that went into getting it from New Zealand to my plate in Memphis, Tennessee. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, so 
there's just a, like you said, there's a lot of nuance. We're not going to play in the sensationalism. We're here to educate, inform, and entertain. And that's what this show is about. And it's also important for any of the people that hear this that may hear something. First of all, thank you for listening. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this show and you hear something that you want to disagree with and you want to respond to that, thank you so much for listening. You are a producer of this show and we greatly appreciate you donating your time. And it's also, uh, in my opinion, vital to remember, vital to remember the types uh, who, who are real competition is. U.S. Department of Agriculture approved the first lab-grown meat to be sold to the public. This makes the U.S. the second country in the entire world to allow this, which, if you ask me, is two countries too many. Alex Newman joins me now to discuss this. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. It's great to have you back. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Allison. Of course. So what's your reaction to this lab-grown meat? Are you at all surprised to hear this is coming to fruition, especially knowing people like Bill Gates and Richard Branson have invested in lab-grown meat companies? I'm not surprised at all. In fact, this should have been very obvious a long time ago. Over 10 years ago now, I wrote an article warning that the United Nations was pushing exactly this kind of thing. Uh, in fact, people can go back and read that article. It's called UN Let Them Eat Bugs. And if you look at their vision for the future of food, they want a radically transformed food system where basically small farmers, small ranchers do not exist anymore. Boom, bug burgers. Ooh. <laughs> and, and it's it doesn't it shouldn't surprise anyone that uh the same person who is advocating uh we we don't worry about planting trees we'll just build huge energy intensive buildings to solve this problem is also the same owners that own a lot of the uh future lab grown meat future bug burgers future processed fake shit that they can sell at an insane markup and make a ton of money. It shouldn't be a surprise, yet uh, uh, we have to put on our tinfoil hats, uh, quote-unquote tinfoil hats, to be conspiracy theorists. I'm a conspiracy realist. There are people that are conspiring to bring about agendas onto the world without your consent, maybe with your knowledge, but without my consent for sure, and they're they're... Most the average listener, oh dear listener, let me get let me get let me get close to my <laughs> microphone here. Just want you to know I'm talking directly to you. Oh dear listener, you may not realize that at scale industries market against each other. So if you want to know who some of the prime suspects for making meat out to be a problem, look no further than the individuals that are set to benefit from the decline of meat sales, a.k.a. lab-grown meat in uh, companies, bug burger companies, and, you know, it might be freaking chicken companies for all I know. Chicken be like, you know what? Meat's getting too much pub. Nobody thinks about chickens. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody's out here worrying about the economic or the environmental impact of chickens. You know, it literally could be a hit job for the chicken industry for all I know, okay? Yeah. But I can tell you, uh, 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 pretty affirmatively that if you go and observe a beautiful prairie 
and, and pastured ranch and you see a bunch of cows out there, how you could possibly be out there smelling that fresh air, looking at nature, doing its thing, and then go look at a wind farm, freaking huge industrial building, putting out plumes of smoke and go, yeah, that's probably the better option. <laughs> I don't get it. I really well, that's don't. What, get that's it. what I, I get so upset. Like it really bothers me when I I have the realization of just the number of people that have got to be so stuck in the illusion that they're stupid. Like they can't think logically. Because let's let's say we, all problems aside, let's just look at this. All right, guys. Food. If you grow it. It's grown in a garden, you raise your chickens, you get your eggs, you get your raw milk, or somewhat of a version of those things just kind of created with chemicals in a lab and, and people really think that that's healthier for them. I'm like, what? Why are you so dumb? Like, just be smarter. Nature's on its own timeline. You know? Nature has its own timeline. And, and the, the problem is, is that when you're trying to maximize profits, you can't make nature work faster than its natural processes, which is why you have to move to more controlled circ- uh, more controlled systems like chemicals that I can produce at a regular calculable calc- that's not even a word. I can and I do it at a rate that I can calculate in advance. You know, and that way I can uh, project into the future more accurately what my profits will be. That's that, it is as simple as that. It is as simple as that. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm sitting here trying to search this article I read recently about the about Italy banning fake meat, like the first country yeah. in the world to ban it. Right, and I was, I was the way that they outlined it in their law. Um, that's what I'm trying to find because the wording in their law was like straightforward, basically like you're stupid. But, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find it. They were it was, like, we're not, we will not, we will not buy, we will not sell any of America's fake meat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it should be. I mean, that, that goes into the whole intellectual food property that has actually been creep tiptoeing its way to tyranny in our food system. Think Dude, here we go. Here we, this is this is yeah. Think this fake one. me, and you're like America. Totalitarian tiptoe. One more time yes. for the people in the back. The totalitarian tiptoe. It's a totalitarian <laughs> tiptoe. I have another. Uh, I have another clip on meat and climate. I think it's relevant, and I'd love to get yeah, your reactions. See. Yeah, let yeah. me share this real quick. I found go for it. it. Go for it. Okay. The purely utilitarian version of food is the opposite of the French tradition, which sees food first and foremost as a cultural and social fact. Uh, Companies in the sector justify themselves by specifying that their products are intended to replace low-end imported meat produced in poor environmental and animal welfare conditions, but replacing junk food with junk food is not progress. Ooh, I'm gonna give that, them, a, I'm gonna give them a round of applause. True. Facts, you know? Facts. You can't argue that. You can't argue that. If you try, 
I'll pray for you. You're done. <laughs> Same. So this is from uh, Laura Ingraham show, uh, or maybe it's just Ingram. Uh, it's called the Ingram Angle, and this is a clip. It's a little over a minute long about meat and climate. They're obsessed with meat production. I'm gonna I'm gonna just stop this real quick. Okay, new new rule that we're setting. We talked AJ and I talked about it offline. Uh, I prefer, and we will get to. We're gonna get to the actual source clips as opposed to remixed clips. I'm sorry for the background. I didn't put this in there. People use, just for context, people use background uh, noise. So the IP intellectual property uh, filters don't filter them out and say, hey, you don't own this this content or this property. That's that's a trick that people use so they can repost content. I, I tend to not want to engage in that. It's, it's heavy in this one. But if you can get past the noise, listen, this is this is some good information. They're obsessed with meat production. What's that really about? Well, they imagine that meat production is responsible for 20% of the global warming that's happening. And of course, that's not true, but they don't really care. Um, you know, they've been after every aspect of our lives. Everything, you know, our, where we work, uh, what we eat, what we drive, what kind of electricity we use, all these things, every aspect of our lives, all the way down to what kind of toilet paper we use. Uh, they want to tell us what to do. But they're never going to give up meat. Just like during COVID, they never get, gave up their fancy dinners at the French Laundry. They didn't stop traveling to the Bahamas, wherever their vacation homes are. So they're never going to give up meat. They but, want regular people to have less and be happy with less and have fewer choices, correct? Well, of course, the elites like John Kerry are never going to give up their jet travel, their, their meat. Al Gore said he wasn't going to give up cheeseburgers, but they expect us to. They expect us to give up everything for the climate. They don't really care. They get a pass. Do cows and goats and, and sheep, do they, what is it, the flatulence? Is that what causes Yeah, the methane. But, of course, methane is irrelevant to climate, but they don't care. Yeah. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with my 14-year-old because I'm indoctrinating her because I'm her father. <laughs> <laughs> she says, you know, the, my, my kids are around what, we're so invested in. And so they just, they hear these conversations and they know that we're kind of living on that. We have a house in, you know, one part of the country and we're living in a fifth wheel in the other part because dad's working on some things. And my, my, my family, they're just, they're, they're all incredible for hanging in there with me. But anyway, I was trying to explain to her in 12 and 14 year old terms, what was happening. So I'm like, so there's this evil supervillain and he has an evil supervillain company and his name is Klaus Schwab and his company is called forward. the work world economic forum. Like I'm, I'm like breaking this down like a, like a cartoon movie that she's seen. And I'm like, it is literally a cartoon movie that we've seen. And I'm like, and I even told him like, isn't it crazy that what I just described to you could be a movie, but is real life. Like this is what's happening. And so listen, I'm like, this is how I explain it to my kids. I like, I literally just break it down into a fictional movie, but it's real life. It's wild. Oh, that no, if anyone's listening and you happen to maybe work with the Daily Wire, yeah, yeah they could use that cartoon. <laughs> yes, you should animate that. You should yeah, animate totally. That. I well, I, after I'm like, maybe I should write a, do something like that and put it into context that younger kids could understand. But that is what's happening. Send it to us. 
Don't send it to the Daily Wire. You send it to Serious Fun Media. You send it to the Feed the People <laughs> yes, podcast. Exactly. You're right. I'm confused. <laughs> You're going to make it. Shameless plug. Uh, I, yeah, I have this right, one. This is the this is the counter to all of the uh, uh, artificial fake food nonsense. Uh, I have another clip from Will Harris. This is called "Food as Nature Intended." Food as uh, yeah, food as nature intended. It's about a minute and a half. I thought this was nice. We'll just clear it off the deck. You know, I'm different from most of the people that I know in this sustainable, humane food movement in that I am one of the good old boys that produced food industrially. And I still talk to those people. They're still my friends. And one of the things that they say is, well, I mean, what you're doing is fine, Will, but you can't feed the world like that. And my response is, I don't know that I'm supposed to feed the world. I think I'm supposed to feed my community. I used to consider what I did to be a very simple business. I had nothing but cattle, dogs and horses to work the cattle, cowboys to work the dogs and horses. We raised the cows, we fed corn to the cows, we sold the live cows. It's pretty simple business. And then I got into an even more simple business. Today, we don't feed animals, we feed the microbes in the soil. The microbes feed the soil, and the soils feed the plants, and the plants feed the animals, and they breed, and they grow, and we turn them into meat and sell it for money, which is like the blood that pumps through our bodies to keep it all going. And it's really a beautiful system. I think it's healthy for me and my family and my employees and my customers to eat food that's raised like this. It's food as nature intended food to be. Food as nature intended food to be. I love that. And I watched my friend Dave, shout out Dave Robinson. Uh, he's my co-host on the Serious Fun Podcast. He started uh, a homesteading project at his house in Richmond. And he doesn't have a big property, but the property that he does have, he was like, hey, it started with flowers and then it's and then it graduated to some food. And then he set up a little rabbit hutch and he started growing and raising rabbits. And what I noticed is that as he started doing that, he invited in this whole ecosystem into his backyard. All of a sudden we started seeing more bees and more butterflies and more bugs and more life. There was life happening in the backyard. And it was just like, again, when you see it happen in the micro, it's very easy to then go, oh, this applies to the macro. And it's crazy. And that's kind of the the world has been is is very much being flipped upside down. Uh, And Brooke said, as Brooke said, many people are captured. And that's how I'm going to call it. They have been captured. They didn't want to go over there. They likely wouldn't have ended up over there. Somebody captured their brain along the way. Several, several somebodies captured their brain along the way and convinced them that things that come in packages and things that you don't know where it comes from is somehow better for life than setting up ecosystems that actually literally attract life. And people go, oh, nope, don't believe that. Can't possibly work. It's like, if you, yeah, to believe that means that you're not thinking, you're not thinking you're, 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 you're doing something else, but it's not, it's not thinking that you're doing. If you believe that, because again, all you got to do is start a mini garden and it would, it would solve a lot of issues. Now I know big cities, 
But even just having some plants in your house, you'd be like, wow, this air is really fresh when I take care of my plants in my house. I wonder if I put more uh, uh, foliage out into the world, if that would help some of this problem. Meanwhile, you got, I'm just going to call him, you got fat Bill Gates over there telling you not to eat meat and gobbling up a lot of the land in the United States. I do have a clip that's related to this, and I think this will be something that y'all will love to respond to because this is totally in your wheelhouse. This is a man named Joe Goggins, and he's talking about aging farmers and future opportunities. And trust me when I tell you, people like Bill Gates know this exists. From a standpoint of auction market owners across America, it's a real concern, the amount of producers that we are losing. And uh, I just look at our own case. Uh, I know last year, uh, we, oh, in the month of December, we have in that one week, we'll sell uh, ten to 15,000 uh, bred females each year. And uh, uh, last year, we had 15 total and complete dispersals. And in, in all of my time, and uh, from being a young kid till now, I never remember a time where we had more than three or four. And we've got more complete total dispersals on the books for this year than we had last year and uh it's just you you can see uh, we're aging out there's a lot of these producers that are getting to the age where they see a pretty good exit and uh, they might a lot of them have it in mind that they're going to run yearlings and this and that and uh, probably be okay but uh, all i know is at the end of this thing somebody's got to make them and I think for those of us that, 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 that stay the course, that they keep some females, that keep the factory around us, I think there'll be some real opportunity in the days ahead. I really do. Yeah, it's, you know, we, I said the number earlier, but there's an estimated 700,000 ranchers left. And ranchers and farmers as a whole, there is less i think it's about one percent of our nation's population left growing our food uh and of that one percent like he's saying a lot of those guys are aging out they're they're going away and a lot of times without somebody to take over the ranch or the farm it goes it gets sold into a development and 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 then in other cases these properties are being bought up and all of the food production being done on those properties, when I say bought up, bought up like a private ranch, somebody who wants their own little slice of paradise because they made a gajillion dollars on some sort of tech deal. And now they buy this huge ranch in Montana. This is a real, real scenario. 86,000 acre ranch that was bought by uh, a, an oil mogul. They've removed all livestock. And now you just removed 86,000 acres of prime beef raising country. I mean, this is a, this is a huge, a huge problem. It's, it's, uh, it's gotta be addressed soon or we're going to have some major issues. How are you addressing that? Both of you? (laughs) Well, one of the Uh, things, go ahead, Brooke. Oh no, you go ahead. I was going to say one of the, one of the initiatives of from the farm is that, we can help be responsible for an entire new agrarian movement because that's what we have to have. We have to have a revitalization of the agrarian, uh, of the food production industry or an agrarian movement in our nation. We have to. Now, we look at this app and look at it similarly to what you you can kind of compare it to with what Airbnb did with short-term rental industry, right? How many people were able to enter that market because a company existed that made it doable on a large scale. And all of a sudden, now it went 
real hard to one direction. I mean, I own a car, I own a car company in Sedona, Arizona, black car service. The high school's closed because as soon as a piece of property went up for sale, it got bought up by short-term rentals and families could no longer live there. So, but, but the point is that's how effective it was. So it, by building a, a, a network like what we're doing with from the farm, you know, one of the fastest movements in the nation right now is the the shift from people leaving cities. They want to go out on a small piece of land and homestead. Now homesteading back in the day meant you went and staked your flag in the ground, put some fence up and now it was yours. Homesteading now means you go buy, you know, half acre, one acre or, or more, whatever you can afford. And you start growing and producing your own food. Well, inevitably you're going to have extra. And if you can take that extra and have a marketplace that's driving consumers to you, now people that are just like, man, if I could just find a way to make that work financially, I would leave my office job in the city and go do that. Well, we are creating that. We're creating a marketplace that you can do that. And the other thing I'll say on on the app side too is that when it comes to, you played a clip earlier that just had me think about, we keep talking about the, 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 the rule or the law of maximizing profit for investors. We're not going to, an, we're not a, we're not going public. We are a private company so we can make moral and moral and ethical decisions for the life of this business for as long as we can possibly hang on to that. Maybe it's three, four or five generations of my descendants, Brooks descendants, everybody involved that we can say we can make decisions from a moral and ethical standpoint, not solely from a financially motivated uh, uh, initiative. Because otherwise, then it would turn into just another big four where we centralize everything and, you know. 100%. I mean, that's what happened to Airbnb. Airbnb isn't what it used to be because revenue was the primary focus of everything they had to do, and now it's been ruined. It's not the the holistic program it was in the beginning that everybody's like, oh, shit, I'll go rent somebody's couch. You know, it used to be couch surfing back yep. in the day. Yeah, it was couch surfing. Shout out couch surfing, man. Yeah. Oh, dude, circa like 2009 to 12, <laughs> yeah. couch surfing was it, bro. It was it. Oh. Anyway. Just one more comment on that note is also, you know, we're in it for profit but not for us. We're in it for producers to have profit and consistent profit. Mm -hmm. So we are, it's, it's help us help you, right? We work in together. Our goal is to get those producers more consistent profit by them knowing people regionally and locally that you can just be working with and producing for all the time to where we're cutting out middlemen and we can put more money in the producer's pocket, keep them, in business, keep them in business. This is not a selfish task. We are, <laughs> we just want to make a change and we do not want to see this industry die because selfishly, I love it, right? I love everything about it. I love the heritage. I love the nostalgia. I love being outside. I love working with my hands. I love working on something and seeing it come to fruition. Like my dad always said, one of his favorite things to do is like, he loves doing hay. He loves to watch it grow. He loves to know that like, I did that. I did that. And it's growing and it's, you know, and that is a really wonderful feeling. And for anyone who's like, I kind of am interested in homesteading and maybe you have kids. Teaching kids at a young age to give them responsibilities and teaching them how to help and work and be outside, man, you are setting them up to be just fantastic humans 
and self-sufficient and just freedom loving good people Yeah, that want to help their neighbor. Like, let's get back to that. Help your neighbor. When was the last time when I was growing up? One little thing that's actually really funny. Nowadays, I would never feel comfortable going to my neighbor's house to ask for a cup of milk or an egg or something I don't have. But when I was growing up, that was the practice, man. In our neighborhood, my mom didn't have something. Run over to the Jacksons. Run over to the Jensen's. We were always, they'd come over, they needed something. We came over, we needed something. It was just in our neighborhood when I was growing up, just sharing. We didn't have it. That's all right. Run next door. And it went back and forth. Wonderful times. Well, speaking of freedom loving producers, we have some producers of the Feed the People podcast that we'd like to thank. Oh, dear listener. Welcome to the producer segment of the Feed the People podcast. Brooke's first producer segment. Welcome, Brooke Ince, to the first producer segment. And just to remind you what we mean when we say producer, you can become a producer of this show by giving us the three T's, your time, your talent, or your treasure, preferably your treasure. We could up our production. We could help a lot of people with some of that treasure. But your time and your talent is welcomed and desired. The way you can give your time is to listen to this show, share this show with others. As I've said many times, we'd love it if you introduced us to a hundred of your best friends. Tell them, hey, I got got this podcast I've been listening to. It's called Feed the People. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about food, but they sure do. And they want this nonsense, fake lab meat, bug burger agenda to disappear off the face of the earth. And the more that you share that with people who are similar valued, not like-minded, I don't want like-mindedness. I want like valued people. The more that you share that and donate your time, we deeply appreciate it. You can also rate us five stars, leave a kind comment and help us get found. You could donate your talent. And we do have a talent donor today for Bopper Flop, which is going to be fantastic. Another talent donor is my boy, Nate Baumgartner. Let me give just a little shout out. Nate Baumgartner, he is the... Uh, producer of Skunk Holler, which is our theme song. Shout out Nate and Baumgartner for producing Skunk Holler. He's my friend. He's a musician. He's also a fantastic coach, and he he put that little ditty together. He also has our he put the ditty together that is the producer music. He also put the ditty together that is our outro music. So Nate is uh, he's got his fingerprints all over this podcast, and we appreciate him donating his talent for the show. And you can also give us your treasure. AJ, will you remind people how they can donate their treasure? I'm going to follow up with another comment afterwards. But for now, we do have a place where people could go and donate their treasure. Please tell them where to find it. Yes, we do. Um, we have a funding set up on Give, Send, Go. And you can find that on feed. The, the link for that is on feedthepeoplebythepeople.com. You can also sign up on feedthepeoplebythepeople.com to be notified when our app goes live. Or if you're a farmer and rancher, you can sign up there to be notified when we start onboarding producers around the nation. Beautiful. I'll also leave a link to the Give, Send, Go in the show notes. And um, I'm going to take this as a oh, bit I'm of a... i say one thing. Please. I'm say one thing, Brooks. You jump okay. right also, in. Also, if you're, if you're listening and you're a producer or you know one, something even more that we are also working on doing is if you know someone who runs a processing facility, if you or if you run a processing facility, you need to reach out to us. 
Okay. We are working with processors. We are working to help processing facilities get, get more consistent income. And also by doing that, it helps all their local producers that are nearby that maybe haven't gone direct to consumer that would like to help aid in food security for the nation. So definitely connect with us, please. Thank you for including that. And uh, as Brooke mentioned, she's got about a year out that she has to book to be uh, going into a process processing facility. That to me as an economist tells me that there is a supply issue. We do not have enough processors if people are having to book a year out. So there are some big opportunities as this marketplace called from the farm grows out that you could position yourself rather nicely regionally if you can set up a processing facility and uh speaking of processing facilities one of our treasure donors is utah beef producers aj has many hats today he has his utah beef producer hat and we want to thank them for their generous kind donation of 250 dollars to make this show possible Now, we call them producers and not sponsors, and this is a very specific delineation in the language that is on purpose because sometimes when you take advertisers and sponsors, you end up in situations like this. Dramatic pause. Apology tour, if you will. This had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising? Blackmail me with money? Go fuck yourself. But go f- yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob. If you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then... That's how I feel. Don't advertise. I love how the interviewer had no idea what to do. He was like, but like this wasn't supposed to go this way, but, uh, 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 yeah. Goes, sometimes you is just, that fair? yeah. Is that fair? And I like how he called out Bob. Yeah. Hi Bob. Hey Bob. Bob the CEO Hi, Bob. of Disney. <laughs> yeah. And that is the exact reason that we are not taking traditional sponsorships. We are finding people who believe in the mission, share values, and one of them is free speech. And when you start to take advertising dollars and money and you start to say things that they don't care about so much or don't like or think is a political problem, they will dangle that money over your head and say, hey, we're going to withhold this if you don't do what we want. And that's exactly why we have moved into the value for value model for this podcast, because you, the listener, are the producer of this show. You are going to be the one that allows us to get heard by other people You are going to be the one that supports this by voting with your dollars and your dollars have a direct impact on our ability to go out and find more people and to spread this message. So thank you to all of the donors, the time, the talent and the treasure. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, So in most people. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take some airtime here. I'm going to educate y'all. I'm mostly doing the one getting the educate. I'm getting educated. I'm going to educate y'all a podcast. Most people think a podcast is a radio type show that is mostly people talking and interviewing, but really all that it is, is a broadcast done from a pod. 
or a room. And so that could be an interview. That could be one person talking. And it could also be a music show. Now, one of the challenges with music when it comes to distribution of music is that there are intellectual property rights and distribution rights, and not everybody has the right to distribute music. So if you hear somebody that's playing a, uh, a very popular song on a podcast, either they're breaking the law <laughs> or they have paid a lot of money to distribute that podcast, however, or distribute that music. However, we are moving into a new ecosystem and generation of podcasting known as podcasting 2.0 podcasting was meant to be decentralized the rss feed was created so someone could put up a website drop the rss feed on their blog and get their message out without any middleman sound familiar we're trying to remove the middleman of the grocery stores and get people direct to consumer working with their uh their ranchers this is the same concept for us to work directly as producers, y'all to help us find the direct-to-consumer relationship where y'all can interact with us like literally through the app itself. And so there are apps out there called Podcasting 2.0 apps, not Apple Podcasts, not Spotify, that actually allow you to engage with this show while you're listening to it. One of them, and this is my personal favorite, is called Podverse. Podverse allows you to set up your own digital wallet, upload some of your dollars, turn them into Bitcoin, and if you liked something that you were saying, we were saying, you can literally send us some Bitcoin while you're listening to this show. And boy, oh boy, if we could help people decentralize from some of the financial systems, from some of the food systems, I feel like we have done a huge service to the world, and this is a way that you can do that, is start to learn about this new ecosystem and start to wrap your brain around you personally are supporting all of the things that you do with your dollars. You're voting. So every time you vote for a major supermarket, you're taking potential dollars out of a rancher's hands. Every time you go and buy a product from a company that's doing something that's ethically or morally against what you believe in, but you're like, well, but they make great products. Sorry to tell you, you're supporting them. You're supporting that behavior with your dollars. And so if we are saying or doing things that you believe in and want to support, you can do that directly, like I said, with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. Now, in music, one of the biggest middlemen are the record labels. And I don't know if you heard, but the music industry is practically falling apart. Very, a lot of money is, it's just, it's, it's not being made or it is being made. A lot of people don't know that many record labels, uh, swung deals with company like Spotify to own, to, to sell them the artist music for less. So the record labels could own points on the tech. So many record labels, the big ones were getting shared interest in companies like Spotify. And in the end, the artists are making virtually no money. And so for, uh, it takes about a million streams to make $300, $300. And so Adam Curry, the inventor of the RSS feed, the first, the pod father and, um, uh, you know, former MTV disc jockey. He and a couple of people have created some new technology that now allows for independent artists to go and upload their songs, give people the rights to distribute their music for free. And if you want, you can, if you were to donate through a podcasting 2.0 app, guess what? Their wallet is the wallet that will receive the music. 
And so I'm still working out some of the kinks on the technical side. I won't have figured it out by the time this airs. But if we do receive some donations, I'm going to return some of that infra, uh, some of that value to this artist who we're about to use, uh, a, who has donated. Oh, hold up. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm just I'm setting up some bopper flop here, and I just wanted to make sure that didn't cut come through too early. Uh, one of our uh, talent producers name is Aiden fine. I have pulled a song and this is Brooks our first opportunity to play. And so Brooke, I ask you, is this a bop or flop? I want to, I want to like, How you feeling, Brooke? I'm feeling really good. I really like it. Is it a bop or a flop? Huh? A bop. She gives it a big bop. Mega bop. AJ, two thumbs up for the mega bop. All right, let's play. Let's play a little more. Awesome. Aiden Fine. The name of that song is called Pulse. And I think we all felt the pulse of that. So shout out to producer and musician Aiden Fine. Thank you for participating in the Value for Value music revolution that is coming. I'm going to offer just a little like teaser here. This is coming in 2024. Uh, I made some really awesome connections this year uh, with a group known as the Whalers Trio and their manager, Miss Maxine Stowe. And Maxine is quite the character in the uh, Jamaican music scene. She's a very, she's a disruptor and she wants to break the system. Uh, and I think we can all get down on that. And so we're in the works of creating our first music based podcast that we will per- be participating in the value for value music so we can get the Jamaican artists who have been blocked from participating in many of the record labels and distribution channels to put money directly into their pocket for their talent. And I am just thrilled about that. And you know what? I might even just create my own. Uh, that one's going to be called Wailing Woman. She's going to be telling stories and, and wailing and we'll also be playing some music. And, you know, I might just make a make a little show called Reggae Jammies just so I can play some of my friends' music. And uh, so I've been behind the scenes setting a lot of musicians uh, up with some wallets, digital wallets is a little bit of a tech learning curve on this stuff, Uh, setting up some digital wallets that will allow them to participate and receive direct to consumer voting with your dollars. And so we're participating in that. Uh, We're part of that revolution. And this whole project from the way that we're distributing to from the farm and how that's going to be disrupting and adding to the marketplace of food. I'm just thrilled that we're all here together. Uh, It's today, December 20th. This will release in about a week and a half that we are doing this together. I couldn't think of a more fun and more blessed way to uh, really like tie all this in together. We're not just trying to disrupt food. We are here to really disrupt and help educate people and bring them into the 
uh, realization that you have way more influence and control of your dollars and your uh, the world that you live in than you may imagine. And so it takes something as small as reaching out to us online. AJ, you have a, you started or are starting a little consulting business that will help people do this either DIY or done for you to connect with your local rancher and feed, like shake the hand, literally shake the hand that feeds you. Uh, so i just wanted to say thank you to both of you for giving me this opportunity, both to take up some airtime here at the end and also participate in something that I truly believe in. And that is the decentralization of food and the empowerment of the individual to break the systems that are trying to put us down and offer at least more people with the option of voting with their dollars and exiting the systems that would nudge you into eating some bug burgers because uh, I don't know about you, but I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, no. Yeah, you nothing. have to be imbalanced I've never seen a bug in the mind, thought, you know, in the psyche Maybe. to believe that that's true. No. No, I did eat a bug once. I'm not going to lie. I ate a scorpion when I was in China. It, it happened. I also <laughs> ate some mealworms in Korea, but that's a story for another day, I guess. AJ, uh, Brooke, anything um, that you'd like to leave the people with before we uh, exit let out? Me just, of let me just say, Brooks, that if herding cats warranted wearing a cowboy hat you have earned it my friend my man my man <laughs> you got your work cut out with for, I, for I Brooke walk, and I and I, you walked every clip right into it and we were like Meow. I will herd you to I will herd you two cool cats any day of the week thank you for this opportunity how about you Brooke how was your I day back I'll, 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 what was that how was it being back back in the great. saddle back in the saddle is what we're going to call this show Yep. I just, we just recorded our last podcast for Between the Reps, which we did that for, it was five years. We were doing Between the Reps for five years. Congratulations. Yeah. And Congratulations. Like crazy. We never, it, every time we said it, was like five years, like Devin's like, do it five years. I'm like, wait, wow. it's been five years? <laughs> <laughs> crazy. If anything, really just shows how fast time flies. But I'm just really excited about this, pro- all the things we're working on. I mean, we've got some big missions and we're we're ready to do it and we just keep the right people just keep coming into our lives which is gonna it's very motivating and uh all the listeners thank you for listening continue to listen please share it and i also will just leave you with this if you're a listener that something a topic or whatever starts to you know cause some disrupt your emotions a little bit um instead of immediately wanting to deny what you're hearing do know that nothing we say on here or talk about has it we, we have looked into everything this is an ongoing we are constantly staying up to date we are constantly researching and looking into and what we're doing is we're having a conversation and if it causes you to get a little bit upset good and what i ask you to do with that is maybe that will motivate you to do some digging too Right. So if something is upsetting you, but it is in the conversation and not just on here, it's in the conversation. Don't, you know, sometimes we get upset because that, that realization of you've been doing it wrong or, or you've been part of the problem can cause you, we don't want to feel that. So it causes us to what we get defensive and it's like, nope, you're wrong. What we all need to do is know that it's okay. If we've thought something that actually isn't true, or we've, we've been, we had a misconception or there's something that we were doing wrong. And now instead of 
getting defensive and needing to die on that hill, know that everyone just needs, it's, it's okay to say, oh shoot, I didn't know, I was doing it wrong. I'm so happy I learned something new. Go out and get more information. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to learn. We're supposed to work with each other and meet people halfway. That doesn't mean you should always let someone change your mind, but it does mean that you should consider that what they're telling you has some truth and some facts. And so you should say, oh, I never thought about it that way. And then maybe go and do some digging for yourself, unbiased, and just read and know that it's okay when we learn that things have been doing, we've been doing things the wrong way. It sucks. But it's okay to accept that. And then and we do it the right way, but we have to do it together. We have to have the conversation. You have to be willing to listen. You can't just shut us down. Okay. So all I'm saying is stick around and go through this journey with us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. We're going to ruffle a lot of feathers, but that's how you make change. We want everyone to be comfortable all the time. Well, that's why we are where we are (laughs) among many other things, but we can do it. We can change it. We can make a difference and we just have to do it together. Amen to that. That is a wrap on episode nine of the Feed the People podcast. This one's going to be called Back in the Saddle. And remember, shake the hand that feeds you.